Get ready for the thrill of your life. Now, Universal plunges you into a mystery at the speed of sound. Let's enjoy what we have. It makes this crazy circus life more bearable. If you want me to spell it out for you, I will. To me, what we have is no more important than a greeting card. Sometimes maybe love's friendly. You are listening to I Saw in a Movie, an advice podcast co-hosted by your friendly cinematic pals at Movie John. I am the old sport and classic coroner, Rosalie Kicks, and this is my film pal, the Red Herring, Ryan Silverstein. And each episode, we take a question from our listeners and go to the movies for the answer. So, hey, Ryan, um, what have you been watching lately? Do you have a flick pick? I do have a flick pick. Um, so this is something I watched on the Criterion channel. Uh, I believe it's my seventh Howard Hawks movie that I've watched in 2020 already. Um, and it's called Ball of Fire. Uh, I, starring. Okay. I love that movie. <laughs> uh, so I hadn't seen it before and it popped up on Criterion channel Um it stars Gary Cooper and Barbara Stanwyck. Like I said, it was directed by Howard Hawks. And it's a weird kind of riff on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which I didn't realize until like halfway through the movie. Um, where it has this group of old professors working on an encyclopedia. And Barbara Stanwyck uh, plays like, she's like a nightclub uh, entertainer. And she's like on the run from the mob. And she ends up ho- holding up with them. Uh, and they're just, you know, men who cannot function in society nor with a woman and just i mean hilarity ensues is the is the is the briefest plot description i can give it yeah so i actually stumbled upon this movie a couple years ago because ben and i as you know purchase vhs tapes and this tape ended up in like some flea market lot that we bought And I had never heard of it. And I put it on. And I had the same reaction as you. I think it was when I was maybe midway through. I'm like, oh, my God, this is basically Snow White. (laughs) And the Seven Dwarfs. And it's just, it's a very odd movie, especially watching it now. Because obviously, nobody is sitting and writing encyclopedias. Yeah, I mean, that's part of it. And, like, she kind of gets in with them because she convinces them that she knows all of the hip slang. So there's, like, a lot of, like, really good, crisp dialogue that's all about, you know, slang from the early 1940s and, you know, explaining what it means and kind of using it back and forth. And, like, I almost the movie is feels like it could almost have been a musical. I could see that, yeah. I... You know, and kind of a... Like the, you know, like the Rain in Spain song in My Fair Lady. Like you could write a couple of songs like that that would you could drop right into this movie. Yeah, it's definitely one. Now I want to go watch it again because I like how they <laughs> treat her like she is this all powerful God. Like they that she knows everything because they just don't know anything about the outside world. Like they're really <laughs> smart. But they don't really know, like, simple things. 
Yeah, and they're completely intimidated by, you know, a beautiful woman like Barbara Stanwyck. Like, they just don't even know how to react to her. And there's a lot of, like, hilarity where she, like, leaves a stocking on the thing and their, like, housekeeper comes in. And it's, like, it's one of those movies that, like, I think it plays up things being, like, way more scandalous or, like, people thinking that scandalous things are going on because it is so funny, the contrast between these guys and her. Right. Yeah. I I remember the housekeeper having quite the fit, like when she came in and realized that there was a woman there. Yeah. And I love how she she falls in love with, you know, the professor that is played by Gary Cooper. Um, You know, she describes him looks like a giraffe and I love him. I love him because he's the kind of guy that gets drunk on a glass of buttermilk, which is just like just an amazing line and an amazing concept. Yes, and I'm also remembering now too there's a whole like mafia angle. Yeah, cuz she's she's on the run from the mob um because right. she's involved she's involved with them being, you know, working in the nightclub and you know, it, all, everything all gets tangled together. So she's like hiding on the down low. Yeah. No, this was a good watch. Uh so Would you like to hear my pick? Absolutely. So I actually just watched this movie yesterday, and it was for the first time. And it's currently on the TCM app, but forgive me, I don't know how long it will be on there. But it's called The Picture of Dorian Gray, and it's a 1945 film starring George Sanders, Herd Hatfield, Donna Reed, and Angela Lansbury. So, as I said, I I caught it on TCM app, and within an hour after it ended, I ended up purchasing it, because it is a movie that I definitely want to revisit at some point, but it tells the story of, well, it opens up, I should say, with a painter, and he's completing a portrait of this guy, Dorian Gray, and when Dorian comes to his house and sees the self-portrait he makes a pact of sorts basically trading his soul for eternal youth he doesn't want to age because he feels you know when you're young that's when you're living like the best of your life Mm -hmm. so as the story goes on though the painting starts to age but then it also begins to basically take on Dorian's true form because he does like a lot of horrible things in his life. So it becomes like a disgusting, like, I almost want to say like a rotted corpse. Uh, So I don't know, have you seen this movie? Uh, I've not seen that movie, but I'm familiar with the story um, because it is It's based on an Oscar Wilde novel. Correct. Yes. And Um, I am interested in the book, but then Ben said to me when I was like, oh, I want to get the book. He mentioned that I guess the language tends to be pretty flowery. Like it can be hard to get through because it's like that old style of writing. Older older books are, you know, kind of um, hit or miss. You know what I mean? Like, like sometimes I'll pick one up and it's very readable and I'll get through it. Um, you know, like I actually recently read, uh, you know, well, an English translation of 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. And I was like, oh, this is fine. Like it's, you know, the language feels old, but it's not, 
but I can, I can, I don't have to concentrate extra hard while reading it. Right. I actually, right now I'm reading Dracula and I love it. I, I I really like Dracula a lot. Yeah. And I've told you before, I have not read a lot of books and I've recently started over the past year or so really picking up books and I love reading now, but Ben just wanted me to be warned. He's like, hey, I know you're trying to read stuff, but some of the older books can be a bit of a challenge to get through. But I love the movie. Uh, And I was going to mention like just some of the things that I liked about it. Uh, The guy who plays Dorian Gray, I don't think I've ever seen him before in anything. And I looked him up on IMDb and he doesn't have a ton of credits But the thing I liked about this guy is he basically looked like a wax statue. And I know that sounds really strange, but even Ben, like afterwards, we were commenting, like, he doesn't look real. Like, Mm. it's almost like he was made perfectly in a mold, which it's just very bizarre, but It also fits so well for this character because, again, like, the character doesn't age. So while everyone around him is aging, he is just staying the same. Right. And And this is a 1945 movie. Okay. Yes. And then I also realized I don't think I ever watched anything with a young Angela Lansbury. And she was really great in this. And I now want to go back and find other films that she was in yeah, i actually just watched a movie with her in it this morning oh, um really? I, yeah i watched the elvis movie blue hawaii okay okay um she plays his mom and she does a great satirical take on a very over-the-top openly racist southern mom oh my god um her, his family owns a pineapple plantation You know what? Uh, I've seen this because a while back I was working my way through the Elvis movies and I will tell you it gets challenging. I mean, this was challenging. This was this is actually the first Elvis movie I'd seen. And there's definitely still a couple that I want to watch. There's a uh, like Viva Las Vegas. I know I need to watch. And uh, there's a racing one called Speedway that I need to watch for personal reasons. Um but this this did not bode well. I mean, I like the songs, I like the aesthetic, but overall the movie is uh, both problematic <laughs> in some ways and a little boring. But uh, she was great in it. And your dear friend, uh, Ben Mankiewicz, in his TCM intro mentioned that oftentimes Angela Lansbury was playing older than her age. Like, I think she's only nine years older than Elvis. And then in Manchurian Candidate, which came out two years later, she's only like three or four years older than uh, the guy that plays her son in that movie. Okay. So she like aged up and it's, you know, because, and I feel like she is the kind of actress that like does the mom thing so well and does the like, you know, slight, like the, you know, middle-aged to older woman character so well that like it, it is hard to pin down her age. Well, if you ever want to borrow, I have almost all of the Elvis movies because (laughs) Ben's mom gave me, well, I guess it was something Ben had originally gifted to her, but it is a literal guitar case. 
And inside, it's velvet lined, and it has all of his movies on VHS. And they are in a guitar case. It is insane. That is insane. Uh, I feel like a VHS player is a road that I need to continue to resist not going down. Well, I also have some DVDs, too. Because, okay. over again, over the years, through, like, thrift storing mm-hmm. and stuff, we had picked them up. But, yeah, I, I stopped. Like, I don't remember how many I made it through, but I was just, <laughs> I had enough. And at some I mean, point, maybe I'll revisit the Elvis movie. Uh, if you, I'm sure there are clips from Blue Hawaii on YouTube, but if you if you just watch a couple of clips of Angela Lansbury in that movie, that will be worth your while. She was my favorite thing in the movie. Well, and to get back to her, in Picture of, a Dori- of Dorian Gray, she is actually the love interest. So she is not playing a mom. And I guess to your point, like, I... I didn't know that about her, that that often happened. But in this, she is playing the love interest of Dorian. And I also learned that, I guess, after the film, the two of them actually became great friends. They actually lived, like, near each other. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, That's great. Yeah. And then the only other thing I wanted to mention about the movie is... I have been recently watching quite a few movies with George Sanders in them. And this guy, like, he just always plays, like, a creepy, like, snake-type character. But as you know, on my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, in my latest episode, I'm actually doing an examination of a movie George Sanders was in, The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. So... I learned quite a bit about him from doing that because I'm starting this segment on that show called A Trip to the Morgue, and we actually dissected a few of his movies in that segment because he ended up playing a lot of like character actors, and in Picture of a Dorian of Dorian Gray, he plays once again like his typical creepy snake-like character. Um, but I don't know if you've seen a lot of his films. I'm not sure off the top of my head. Uh, I'll have, I'll have to look, but I enjoy, I really do enjoy character actors, especially I feel like in older films because they really do kind of, uh, let, let loose. Yeah. There's a scene with him in this movie where, because he's like basically this like hoity toity, like ritzy rich guy. You know, so like all of his clothes are really nice and he dresses really fancy and Dorian Gray takes him to a dive bar and his character is so uncomfortable. Like he refuses to drink anything or like touch the table and it was just very humorous to me. That's great. I mean, you know, I think the only thing that I know I've seen him in is uh, All About Eve. Yes, which he won the Academy Award for that one. That's like one of his, I think, probably most well-known. Yeah, that and he voices uh, Shere Khan the tiger in the Disney Jungle Book. Yes, and I, I almost forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> which, that is a great voice performance. That's probably my favorite vocal performance in that movie, actually. Cool. So, should we get to this week's question? 
Absolutely. Okay. Uh, so what are what are what are our listeners asking for help with this week? Okay, so here it goes. Dear, I saw it in a movie. With COVID raging on, I'm really sad that I probably won't make it to an amusement park or state fair or carnival this year. Please recommend a film that gives me the opportunity to travel to a fun fair from my sofa. Thanks, guys. Carnival Barker. Uh, well, I mean, this certainly ties into the upcoming uh, theme for the next issue of Movie John. I know. I I was like, wow, this is so perfect because in the movie zine, we're going to have so many movies for this person to watch. But in the meantime, uh, Ryan, what did you think of when you saw this question? Sure. I mean, actually, the first thing I thought of was that the fact that I was supposed to be going to uh, Disneyland in August, and this is like maybe the third year in a row where I've said at the beginning of the season, this is the year I finally get to Nobles, and that still does not look look like it's likely to happen. Oh, yes. You've been wanting to go to Knobles, and you still have not gotten there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fate continues to sp- conspire against me. Uh, because I, for one, you know, I enjoy, you know, kind of the smaller local carnivals and things, but there's something about a theme park specifically that it just makes me feel, um, I mean, it's, it's really cliche to say like, Oh, it makes me feel like a kid again, but it's really, it, it really does let you, I feel like let loose. And, you know, there's, once you're in the theme park, there's not a ton of responsibility that you have to worry about. And, you know, it, it's a it's just a great day to you know be outside, gorge yourself on junk food, ride some rides, you know, and yeah. just kind of hang out. It's I don't know, it's it's always a fun day and it's always something I look forward to even if I don't get there as often as I'd like. Yeah, which I'm so glad you mentioned Knobles because that was something I thought of immediately when I saw this question because I think I've shared with you before that we would go there annually with our niece. We would take her there. And we have been doing this for like over 10 years. Well, last year was the first time in forever that we did not go because there was just like a lot of stuff going on personally. Mm -hmm. And I was so bummed that we didn't go. And now I'm extremely bummed that we're not going again probably this year And to your point, there is something about being at an amusement park. It it's just like all your worries go away. And I love the feeling that I get when I'm there. I also love playing the games. Like they at Knobles, they have so many like old like carnival style games, which are really fun. And the thing that's the best about going there is that a lot of them are affordable. Like you're not paying an arm and a leg to play a pony race you know like it's like a dollar right. which is uh, the the pony race game that's where like you roll the ball up yes. the thing and uh especially as a kid those were always my favorite yeah and they have the one the squirt gun too where you know like you have to get like the water in the hole and then it makes like i don't know usually like some kind of sea creature like go to the top and that's right. how you went yeah they have yeah, those games those. I'm not as good at, so I don't I don't like that one as much. But no. the uh, 
the, the like rolling the ball frantically is just like that's one where I don't even get upset when I don't win or I don't get close because right. I'm just enjoying the physical sensation of trying to roll this like ski ball up the thing as fast as I can over and over again. Right. Whereas like the squirt gun, you have to have a little bit of skill. So mm-hmm. it can get frustrating. But my favorite game used to be the frogs. And I feel like I had a, a conversation with you about the frog game. I feel like we have talked about the frog game before. I don't know whether or not it was on the podcast, but I'm also a big fan of the frogs. And I know that uh, you you told me, because the last time I played the frog games, the best part of it is, you know, you hit the mallet, the frog goes flying, and they're like, like the softest kind of rubber where they just kind of like <laughs> wobble texture. and everything in the air. Yes. Well, they don't have those anymore. They like replace them with these like, crappy plastic ones and it's just not as fun and i was so upset that the old rubbery ones like some of them were missing like limbs <laughs> because they were so old so i guess they, they probably on the just edge dis- of that go ahead lily pad <laughs> yeah and i i feel like they some of them were like disintegrating so they probably just had no choice but to get rid of them but yeah, I'm I'm very sad that we won't get to go there because one of the things I always looked forward to is we would go and usually we'd arrive there during the day and then we would stay like until nighttime. And I just love when all the lights are on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and again, like that's part, that is part of it. Like it, it's, it is kind of like an all day thing and you want to, you know, soak up as much of the atmosphere as you can, but there is something like super special about those lights coming on. And, you know, we used to, um, when I was a kid, we used to go to the Jersey shore boardwalks a lot. Um, you know, seaside used to have a lot of games, especially. Um, so we would play, we would play those, you know, the spinning wheel ones like could be fun, but that was more about like what booths had the best prizes that we wanted to win. Okay. The other ones that I really liked were, it was almost like a bunch of overturned, like, um, milk crates or whatever and then it was like a wrestling ring and you would like throw like a, a bouncy ball into it and like where it landed like it would determine if you won a prize or something oh okay they have something kind of like that where you throw like a ball onto this I don't know it's kind of like a big wooden board but then the ball like falls into one of the circles and then they have different colors and then you win like that prize from that color right. category. Yep. Yeah, we used to, when I was a kid, we used to try to win uh, cartons of cigarettes for my grandmother that way. Oh my God. Yeah, they don't <laughs> do that. Like most of the toy, like that's the thing. Most of their prizes are pretty lame, but it's just so fun getting them. And, oh, absolutely. And, I love... and I'm not above a, a random plush or like there was one booth at the shore that like all they had, like all the prizes were posters, but they had like a million posters. Okay. And you could pick whatever, you know, if you won, you could pick whatever poster you wanted. Yeah. Well, my niece, you know, she is now 17. I believe she's turning 17 this year. She would get, as we kept going, obviously she was getting older and smarter and when we would go to the arcade, like I would hold all the tickets so that I could pick the prizes. And then like <laughs> she like figured out what I was doing. 
But I get like really crazy about the arcade prizes. Because there's always like, like weird things. Like the one year I got like a dinosaur pillow. Like oh, there's cool. just very unique and strange stuff. I oh, I got an alien head like lamp. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> so like my niece is like, how many tickets do I have? I'm like 10. You're like, you can get a spider ring. Yes. And then like, meanwhile, like I just got a 1200 ticket alien <laughs> lamp. Oh, that's great. So, um, so hopefully in the future we can go. But that yes. that was my first thought about, you know, when hearing this question is just how much I enjoy. Like you said, it's, you know, I think we're both in agreement that it, it becomes a carefree day. And, yes. you know, it's the, like I said, the atmosphere of it is just as important as any of the individual pieces of an amusement park. Yeah. So what movie did you think of? Sure. I, I mean, this movie was top of mind because I literally just finished writing my article, which includes this movie for the upcoming Movie John issue. But it's uh, the 1977 disaster movie, Roller Coaster. Um which may be counterintuitive at first blush. It opens with a um, someone putting a bomb onto a roller coaster track, exploding it. The roller at, while people are riding it, the roller coaster careens off the track, and a bunch of people die. Oh my god, Ryan! <laughs> um, this may not be a good pick. But I'll I'll get I'll get there to what to why it is. But okay, this sounds um, scary. So the only I, I mean I will spoil this this old movie uh, a little bit and just say that um, that is the only scene. Uh, there are scenes of danger uh, where you're not sure what's going to happen, but that's the only scene that has like any significant death toll. Um, but it goes to. Uh, George Siegel's character, uh, Harry Calder, he is a safety inspector, and it was his job to inspect that roller coaster, which he insists passed and got a clean bill of health the week before. And so he gets pulled into this investigation, and they come to find out that this terrorist is blackmailing amusement parks around the country, that if they don't pay into his ransom, uh, more quote-unquote accidents will happen at their parks whether it be a fire or another bomb or whatever so i mean i feel like there's a lot of movies where people who are not detectives suddenly have to become detectives so uh this safety inspector gets pulled into the fbi investigation into this thing uh which is led by uh richard widmark oh my god uh who is quite aged at this point and he does not have time for for um the safety inspectors like and he doesn't have time for any of his guff any of his like (laughs) so um so this was like your first exposure to widmark or no you watched pickup on south street yes so i just coincidentally today in the mail received my book a biography about richard widmark and the opening line of the book states something along the lines of a hardworking, milk-drinking, dog-lover, great father and husband, Richard Whitmark. <laughs> That's wonderful. But I like that he drank milk. 
Yeah, I don't think he drinks milk in this movie, but he does seem like the kind of guy that would drink milk. Well, you'll be surprised as you go down the road of his filmography because he does have a few like villainous characters that he plays, specifically if you check out the movie Roadhouse, which is not the Patrick Swayze. This yeah, is... I've seen the Swayze Roadhouse. I was like, oh, I didn't know what Mark was in. <laughs> no, it is not that one. There is another Roadhouse. And then he also is in this other um, film, Don't Bother to Knock, which he's kind of villainous in that. But then I would say he also definitely plays a cop in a lot of films or some sort of detective or... Like how you mentioned he's on the FBI in this one. Yeah, and, and it's very much a generational class clash in terms of, you know, um, Siegel's character is very, like, I don't want to say he's laid back, but he is very laid back compared to, like, Widmark's character, like, feels like he's still from the 1950s, yes. you know? Drinking He's very milk. clean cut. Right. <laughs> very clean cut. Very, you know, and a lot of the movie is... Uh, them bickering and then also trying to convince these amusement park owners to take this threat seriously and to potentially close. But they're of course worried about the business and causing a panic. So there's a lot of that back and forth, but the reason I still recommend it, even with this terrorist trying to attack people at amusement parks is that it actually features three different parks over the course of the movie. Oh wow! Um, so the opening is, was it filmed at ocean view amusement park in Norfolk, Virginia. Um, there's a later scene at King's Dominion, which is also in Virginia. And then there's an, uh, the finale takes place at Magic Mountain in California. Um, I think a couple of those are now like Six Flags parks. But back in the 70s, they were still all independently operated. Okay. So, unfortunately, I could not watch this movie the way that it was intended to be watched, which uh, it was made for Sense Around. Oh, I don't know um, what that is. So it was like a gimmicky, like the um, the studio would like rent out these like gigantic subwoofers to these theaters. And they had part of the soundtrack that was so low frequency that you couldn't really hear it, but you would feel it. Oh my gosh, this is like AMC Prime. Have you ever <laughs> gone to one of those? I have not. Okay, it's so weird. Uh, we saw the new Blade Runner in an AMC Prime, and we didn't realize what that was. Like, we just thought, oh, it's like plusher seats or something, or wider seats. And the movie started, and, like, I leaned over to Ben, and our friend Pockets was with us, and I'm like, is your seat shaking? And they're like, yes. Well, like, that's part of the experience is that, like, when there's huge, like, explosions on screen and whatnot, your seat literally shakes. It was, I and found what, it to be very distracting. And I'm, and this seems like the kind of, I mean, obviously, like, it was developed for the movie. This version was developed for the movie Earthquake, which 100% makes sense. Okay. And this one, I could kind of see it. Apparently, uh, so the... This film was scored by uh, Lalo Schifrin, who's like a composing legend. And he actually like orchestrated the sounds that were used to create those sensations. So I don't know if 
again, when I when I strike it rich and I have my billion dollars, I will get Roller Coaster a 40x re-release. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um but but really why I picked this movie is because of those like especially the um those last two like kind of extended sequences of uh amusement parks and the, you know at the um uh which one is it sorry i'll edit this part out it's okay. um <laughs> did they did they actually film at those sites like, they did that's cool so yeah. it wasn't and like all done on a lot no and there was one park that they were supposed to film at in pittsburgh that they cut from the script because the park refused to let them film i was actually surprised given the plot that they were yeah. Uh, that these parks let them film there but i'm so glad that they did because otherwise the movie i don't think would be worth watching because um when he is at king's dominion he is carrying you know the million dollar ransom in a briefcase and the terrorist is talking to him over a walkie-talkie okay and so he'll be like you have to walk through the mushroom forest <laughs> you have to sit on this bench <laughs> Um, and then there's one of those roller coasters where like there's two trains on parallel tracks and they like quote unquote race each other oh okay i've been on one of those before um he he makes him ride it like three times in a row just to like like he's you know he's just kind of like messing with him um wait does widmark have to go on the coaster no widmark is always in the office where they have all like the cctv cameras and like yeah yeah i could see getting his hands dirty with a walkie yep yeah yeah and and they make um they make seagal's character wear a wire and the terrorist is like i know you're wearing a wire take it off and put it in this trash can and like he can't he doesn't know what the guy looks like and the guy that plays the terrorist um like you never get his character's name um he's just terrorist he's billed as a young man (laughs) Um, but you get a lot of time of him walking around the, this amusement park and the same thing for, um, for the, the finale at magic mountain, it's for the opening of the revolution coaster, which both of the, um, the two coasters that are most prominently featured in the movie are still operating today, which is also cool. Um, so I'm like, oh, I have to go and like ride those and get the full experience, but they did a, an amazing job putting these, you know, they were shooting on film so there had to be gigantic cameras mounting them on the roller coaster trains there's a lot of like first person point of view of these roller coasters and the footage just looks amazing and i'm someone who likes watching ride on videos on youtube a lot and uh it was very much up my alley and it really did kind of scratch that itch a li- as much as possible at home so for getting that roller coaster experience so i didn't even know that was a thing till recently (laughs) and our one friend who we call mr clank he is obsessed with them but specifically like haunted houses Mm -hmm. and apparently yes there's like a plethora of people who make videos of themselves on the ride and then they talk through it and I just find these things to be fascinating that there's a market of people who want this. Well, like I'm not so making say, fun of you. I'm just no, I know. fascinated. I mean, Rosalie, we both have strange interests. So, I mean, <laughs> right. I, yes. Um, 
I think we're both supportive of each other as much as we can be. <laughs> yes, yeah, so you you humor my wax interests. Yeah. Um, so I I don't like the ones where people are talking. I don't mind if if someone is like talking over it later because they want to like point out like here's the history of this or whatever. Um, but I really like the ones that like they're sitting in the front row it's on like a gopro like some of them are like in 4k some of these videos and it's just as if you are riding this ride um and i love doing it for places i will never go like i've watched a bunch of videos for parks that are in like abu dhabi and shanghai and okay um, that that makes sense to me like because you may never get there but now mm -hmm. you're experiencing it from afar and you're seeing it that makes sense. And I, I did recently watch a supercut of all the coasters at Nobles, uh, Knobles, because I was trying to figure out, like, okay, what ones do I really want to go on? Yeah, they actually have a really interesting one. It probably was in that video, but it's like a bobsled. Yes, like, I'm very excited to ride that at some point so because we, it has no track, right? It has no track, and it's it feels very strange. Because you're just like, how is this not tipping over? But just, you know, speaking of, like, disasters, that ride, they, like, purchased it. Like, a lot of their rides, they purchase them from other places. And I don't know if you know this about Knobles, but the family owns a lumber yard. So mm. they do try to restore older rides, and especially wooden coasters, so they bought this ride from somewhere, I don't remember where, but when they first got it, it took them like years to like get it to work right because the <laughs> carts like kept flipping over. And when it is a ride that when you go on, you have to get weighed. Uh, oh boy. Yes, because, and I feel like Ben should be on the podcast because he would be able to explain, but like it has a lot to do with the engineering of it like if it's too heavy it'll topple over oh boy <laughs> so so even like if you go with friends you may not get to ride together it, it and it always has a line too because it is a cool ride uh but yeah they have a lot of interesting roller coasters there yeah, and, and I should probably mention, I'm not a huge roller coaster person. Like, I have yet to ride a roller coaster that go that does, like, a loop upside down. Okay. Um, Just because I, f I feel like I'm much more brave now as an adult than I was as a kid or even a teenager. I, I will say I do like the wooden roller coasters better. But... They are, I'm finding as I get older, like I can only go on it like once and then I'm like, okay, I'm done because it like rattles my head up too much and then I get a mm -hmm. headache. I felt bad because the last time when we were at Knobles with my niece, I felt like Ben and I were like two old people because I'm like, I can't go on anything spinny. I can only <laughs> go on the roller coaster once. Oh, I just ate. So I have to wait. Like. And I think she was just like, you know what? I'm done coming to the park with you. She might have, that might have been the year where she's like, oh, next year, can I bring someone? Because Ben and I were just being two old people. That's funny. I'm just imagining both of you in like, it's like summertime, but you're both in like long sleeves and pants. 
Oh, yeah, I always wear pants. I don't wear shorts. <laughs> I, like, do not wear shorts. Uh, but um, to go back to your roller coaster thing, you know there's, like, a roller coaster enthusiast group. Oh, I'm sure. I have no doubt yeah. that there is a, a group for everything. But, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very much... Like I said, on the on the outer edge of it, but I I love that I can enjoy these rides even when I can't get to the park or even when I'm too personally too scared to ride them uh, or too nervous to ride them uh, through the power of cinema in this movie and also through YouTube. So yeah, that's cool. So that's why you know, and and I think there's a lot of other. So it's not just the the even though the roller coasters are kind of the focus of the movie's plot, um, you do actually spend a lot of time. And they shot a lot of the footage in the parks while they were kind of in operation. Like there's, you know, a lot of the people's are people in the like all the extras are not back are not actors. They're just normal theme park patrons. Mm-hmm. Um, so you do get that sort of, you know, realistic feel for being at one of these parks in the '70s, which is also cool. That's neat. Yeah, uh, you know, so something I did want to ask you before I get into my film is. Do you have like a favorite food that when you go to an amusement park or a carnival that you're like, I have to get this? I feel like my answer probably has to be funnel cake. Oh, because... me too. Me too. <laughs> I love funnel cake. Cause it, and it's like the only place that like I would realistically get it because I don't know. There's something about like I, I, I only want to eat funnel cake when I'm outside walking around so that the powdered sugar gets everywhere else and not just all over me yes i and oh my gosh knobles has like the best funnel cake and it's like five bucks sweet and these little old ladies make it it's like the same little old ladies every year and it it i mean it always has a line but they move it so quickly and it's that's the other thing knobles like the people that work in the food stands tend to be the same people like year after year. And the food stands kind of each have their own like way of operating. But the old ladies run that like a tight ship. Like, That's you fantastic. You want to talk about life goals. <laughs> yeah. And I too, I love funnel cake. And I feel like it would be something really difficult to recreate at home. Like, I don't think I'd be able to make it the same. Yeah, I, I try not to do a lot of oil deep frying in my house. <laughs> yeah. Um, because, again, like, those things, I'm never going to make it better, really. You know what I mean? Than, than those old ladies will. And they have the right equipment. And it's like, that makes it a special treat versus something I can just make whenever I want. Plus, like, do you really want to have a grease fire? Definitely not. I am terrified of grease fires. <laughs> yeah. So, but no, that's funny. I, I too love funnel cake and I am sad that once again, I will not, I, I got a funnel cake at the Phillies once and it was horrible. Like I was yeah. so disappointed. And I and it probably cost you like $20. Yep. Because everything there is like, oh, here's my arm. Thank you. <laughs> Can I exchange uh, my kidney for these crab fries, please? Right. Yeah. Everything there, you know, it's like, oh, yes, I will have a $15 Bud Light. Thanks. Yeah. That's why minor league games are where it's at for baseball. Definitely. Yeah. And they actually tend to have better food, too. But. Yep. 
Yeah. So my film, surprisingly, I picked one that is set at a circus and it's entitled Berserk. I am actually not. It just makes me want to say Berserk is the circus. So I just had to get that out of my system. Yeah. And it actually, the title Berserk has an exclamation point. Wonderful. So I guess it's supposed to be screamed. I don't know. (laughs) But I was actually never a huge fan of the circus as a kid. I went a few times, but never was a fan of the clowns. And I don't know, like, the circus just tended to be dirty and gross. And like I, as a kid, like, I really did not like dirt. I see. So yeah, I mean, I feel like the because we went to the circus a decent amount. We had one that was like local and would come to a place that was like, uh, like they would set up in like an empty field that was not too far from our house, actually. Yeah. Um, and they would have clowns that came into the stands, and then at one point, my <gasps> no. brother was old enough to be afraid of them, and so we didn't go to that circus anymore. But we would go to, uh, like when Ringling Brothers would come to Philly. Okay. Uh, we would go sometimes. I always enjoyed the like the trapeze acts and like the high wire stuff and the acrobatics. I think more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what it was, but I was never a huge fan. But at the same point, I love this movie. Uh, and basically, well, there's a lot of reasons I do like it, but one of the main is that. It's kind of like you're solving a murder mystery while it's going on because there's a murder at the circus and like people keep dying and you're trying to figure out like, well, who's committing these murders? But it also has Joan Crawford in it. And she, this is one of her older roles, so late in her career. But essentially, like, she is the circus, the ringleader. So she's running this circus, and then these murders start occurring. And so you would think it would ruin her business, but instead, it's like, as these murders are happening, it's like more people want to come to the circus because they want to see if one of the acts is going to be killed in front of them. That's amazing. Yes. So... There is a lot of things I like about this, like I said, but some of my favorite things are, well, one, it's very colorful. So like everything on the screen is just vivid. I love all of Joan's outfits, which I had learned she apparently provided a lot of her wardrobe for the movie. Because That's impressive. If you can provide your own wardrobe to be a circus ringleader, that is just next level. Well, okay. That outfit... <laughs> she did have made by Edith Head. Okay. But the rest of the wardrobe that she's wearing were from her personal closet. And I guess that was a way to like help with the budget because it was, you know, not a huge budgeted film. So like, oh, well, I can provide my own clothes. And a lot of the times her makeup, like her lipstick matches her clothes, which is, I love that. Uh, (laughs) That's fantastic. Now, I this director Jim O'Connelly. I am not really familiar with his other work. Like I don't. When I checked him out on IMDb, I don't think I've seen anything else that he's done. But the shots in some of this are quite elaborate. 
because I will tell you, one of the things that I love and how I think it could help the listener feel like they're at the circus is that like every major circus act is represented somehow. So you actually see like the trapeze artists and then there's like all different kinds of animals from like they do a whole um, act with the elephants, lions. My favorite in particular is like they have dogs performing like all of these stunts and like running through obstacles. And it's just really crazy because it's like these little poodle dogs and they're like jumping through hula hoops and like it's just so fun. And that's wonderful. I, I love watching dogs do obstacle. I mean, I love watching anyone yes. do obstacle courses, but dogs especially. Yeah. So I think that's what's really cool, because, of course, while watching this, one of the things I thought of was The Greatest Showman and just how oh, that movie is so lame. Like, first of all, like the animals are not real. OK. And they barely show you like any of the circus acts actually happening and it's like why am I watching this and I really I sorry if you like it but I hate that music in that no I I I don't there's like one song that I thought was okay and I do I do like um I think Zac Efron and Zendaya are pretty okay in that movie but otherwise that movie is an absolute uh offensive Yes. In, in all other regards it's offensive and it's crap and every time i go into barnes and noble they are playing that soundtrack <laughs> and i'm just like why oh it's also like anytime i go in best buy it's on the tvs like as a sample of like this is what you could watch like no <laughs> but anyway I this circus movie is just I think really cool because you just don't see that often where they actually are spending time like you will see the entire dog act then yeah I feel like a lot of circus movies are sort of like um like rock movies where you get glimpses of yeah what they're doing on stage but most of it takes place behind the scenes but it sounds like this has a lot of the acts in you know like you said featured in the movie well and especially because like people are getting murdered during their act so but the cool thing is they let you see the whole act before the murder is committed so you get to witness. I mean, which is which is great. Now this this sounds like exactly like if you are missing the circus, this sounds like the best way to experience it. Yeah. Oh, and one of the other cool things I like is that Joan Crawford totally gets with this guy that's like twenty years younger than her. Which again, I know we've had discussions on previous episodes, but you rarely see it from like the woman's point of view where she's getting with someone younger it's usually the other way around absolutely and if it was 50 50 i wouldn't mind it anywhere near as much when it happened the other way but it's nice to it it's like we have to celebrate it because it's by far the exception to the rule right yeah so that was my my pick and again i one thing i will say though when i was watching it i was like now i really want roasted peanuts (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which is another thing that Knobles has. And they make fresh popcorn. Which we make that at home here too. But it is good there. 
Like I, because you're getting it like right as it's popped. Yeah. I always, uh, like I always appreciate the, when the popcorn at the Mahoning drive-in is, is hot and fresh. Yeah. They have good popcorn too, which you were just there, weren't you? Yeah. We were there, uh, this past weekend, actually. Yeah. We're not this past weekend, but the weekend before recently. <laughs> oh, um, I would love to see Berserk there. I should, that would like, be great. I should like send that as a recommendation. They should do like carnival movies and circus movies. Rosalie, what if they pair it with a 35 mil- millimeter print of The Greatest Showman? <laughs> would you still go? I don't know if that exists. Does that exist? <laughs> I thought it was just I, a I, digital thing. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I would be surprised if it existed, so, but I'm just saying that would be the monkey paw wish version of your suggestion to so, them. Like, you know, I, I do love Hugh Jackman and like when he was promoting Greatest Showman, like my heart was just breaking because he was so pumped about that movie. And I'm like, it is terrible. Absolutely Um, but no, I would, I would, lo- I would also love to see Berserk at the Mahoning. Uh, their upcoming program looks, programming looks super cool. And it's a nice, you know, it's a nice break from being at home all the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think, I-, I think, sorry. I just think it's so great that they were able to open because yeah, it's just, you got to get out of the house, it's something to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it, it's always a fun time. They're they're being very uh, like serious about the safety measures, and everybody's taking that into consideration. So, it's really just uh, you know, I mean, if you're in the Philadelphia area, it's not that far away. Um, you know, highly highly recommend the Mahoning as a way to you know get out get out of the house a little bit, like we said. But uh, but yeah, no, Berserk would be a sounds like it would be a great fit for there. Yeah, people would probably get really into like again wearing like costumes and dressing up which would be really fun too and i'm sure they could find a circus act or two to do a little performance before the movie before the sun goes down yeah that'd be cool yeah so oh so ryan are we done should i wrap it up yeah i think we can wrap it up because we're at like almost we're almost at an hour so i think i think that's good So before we sign off, don't forget you can find a breakdown of the episodes on moviejohn.com under MJ Podcasts, where you can also subscribe to our quarterly print zine that we mentioned earlier. And coincidentally, our next issue's theme is circuses, carnivals, and state fairs. So our listener is in luck. If they are looking to travel to an amusement park via the movies, there will be a lot of options within our next print scene. And don't forget, you can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter at I Saw in a Movie. And if you're seeking movie advice, please send us your questions at dear I saw in a movie at gmail.com. Now, we also do happily accept snail mail or postal mail. Uh, you can write to us at P.O. Box 20172, Philadelphia, PA, 19145, Attention, Movie John. And Ryan, where can people find you at? 
Sure. Uh, you can find my writing in the pages of Movie John uh, as well as cinema76.com. Uh, and you can find my other podcast, The Shame Files Podcast, uh, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Yes. And you can find me on Instagram at the.oldsport or Twitter at bonjouroldsport. And as I mentioned earlier, check out my other podcast, Cinematic Crypt, in which I go six feet under to uncover films of Hollywood's past. And you can find that wherever you catch other pods or download at moviejohn.com. So before we go, Ryan, did you have a piece of advice for today? I don't really have a piece of advice directly. Like I don't have a, I could not find a line from the movie that summarized, um, the advice because a lot of the amusement park owners are kind of like the jaws mayor where they're like look you know people are going to have a good time what are the odds that something bad is going to happen um but we know that they're wrong so i will say my my biggest thing of advice is if you are waiting in line and there's a person that comes up to you and offers to take your place for a hundred dollars i would definitely take the hundred dollars you would take it I would take the $100 and get on the ride later. Yeah. If the ride will continue to exist. Well, I do have a piece of advice. And sorry, let me just pull it up. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my piece of advice comes from Joan Crawford in the film. She says... We are running a circus, not a charm school. And I think that is very fitting because, yeah, when you go to a circus, like, things are going to get wild. And there may even be murder. Wonderful. Yes. So, well, this was really fun. I really liked this question. And I now want to plan, like, an amusement park, circus, carnival, movie weekend. That sounds like a fantastic idea. Yes. And maybe burn my kitchen down when I make a funnel cake. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for listening. And until next time, remember, for every question, there is a movie with the answer. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.